Hello, everybody. This is season four, episode four. It's so weird having to wait that eight seconds listening to Aerosmith guitar. See, I I like it because you were joking. Oh, I'll pick what you want. You won't have. I won't have to listen to it. So I loaded it in there on purpose. <laughs> you probably hear me sighing over the over the song as I sit here and discuss. But hey, this is Intellicast, season four, episode four. This episode brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. You can reach us at IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com or on Twitter. We need more Twitter followers, so follow us. EMI Research or IntelliCast1, and you can call or leave a voicemail. You can text us, and that number is 513-401-5463. Whew, Brian, how are you? It's Friday afternoon when we're recording this. I know. I'm about ready to pack it in for the week. Yeah, that, I, I read online, our, this is the most depressing week of the year. You know, we're the third week of the year is usually, you know, the holidays are in your rearview mirror. The days are very short, especially this year. This might be the most depressing week of all, maybe not of all time, but in a while because of, you know, there's still not quite that light at the end of the tunnel with COVID, although, you know, the vaccinations are getting out. So um, I'm ready for the weekend, having said that. Yeah, same here. I am ready for the weekend. Yeah, well, let's let's do some news and some announcements, and um, hopefully, if you're listening, we don't. I think this is a good episode, though. It's a lot of lot of news. Yeah. Uh, first up, we kind of grouped these two as some branding changes. Uh, first one up, Directions Research has launched a new technology-driven omnibus service called Accelerant. Accelerant, yeah. I'm pretty excited about this one. They say it's designed for speed and it enables teams to get quicker answers in as few as 24 hours to their most pressing questions from real people worldwide. Yeah, so this is led by Ed Patron, who's a recent hire from them. He came from, I mean, he, he had Omnibus at um, Engine for many years. And so big hire for them. I don't know him personally, but I hear great things about him. And I love the brand name. Accelerant with an X, and it kind of fits their color, their logo. Kind of, um, I like how they did that, and I think that this kind of fits with the trend with speed. And um, so, good for good move for directions. Yeah, uh, our next one, PRS and Vivo re- has rebranded as Behaviorally. Behaviorally, yeah. You actually went to the press announcement today. I did not, but I've read a lot about it. PRS kind of combined with uh, another company not that long ago, and now they've completely rebranded. And you know, their their CEO wrote a pretty big article about it. It's in Green Book, and um, talking about why um, it's basically because the in, the industry is changing, and so are they. So they're rebranding, and it's talking about behavioral science and digitization. There's all kinds of information about it, but it's just yet another trend of a rebranding of a traditional market research company to kind of become much more than that, I think. Yeah, I like this one. I'll come right out front and say it, particularly when he's talking about, hey, we want to focus more on changes in consumer. We're focusing on the like changes in behavior that the name just says it right there. Like it, while we joke, like some of the name changes are weird and they don't say what they do. This one, you kind of get what they do from that name. I like it. Is behaviorally a word? <laughs> it is, right? Is it? Yeah. I guess it is. It's, like, I guess it's not it's a, a made up word. Okay. 
It's the manner in which one behaves behaviorally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm all in now. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Our next couple stories, uh, different topic, have to do around privacy and legislation. Uh, first up, a new California law, AB 2257, is out there proposing to treat market research respondents as independent contractors. Uh, why this is important is that incentives must meet the minimum wage. Brian, your thoughts? Yeah, this is uh, we put this on here because there's there's all kinds of implications, obviously. But in California, and I, I've been I've been thinking we should panel companies should incentivize at the minimum wage level, which isn't really that much if you think of let's let's just say it's fifteen dollars an hour, which it isn't, but let's just say it is. That's fifteen dollars to take a survey seems like not enough money, but you know that would be you know four bucks for fifteen minutes or so. That seems about right, I guess. Um, but the challenge I think of this is, is this going to expand beyond California? Is this a trend? Um, I think that the advocacy advocacy group at Howard, you know, Howard Feinberg at the Inside Association, there's a long article about this. And I think there's a lot of challenges with this law. And so we'll see a lot more come from this. This, this new story kind of flew under the radar, I think. This became law in the fall, I think. And so we're hoping for a national privacy law, and that's kind of the next story, right? Yeah. With this one, though, I can see some problems. So we talk about like, oh, the minimum wage, yes, you mentioned, hey, four bucks isn't bad. But we've seen now, if you're talking a general consumer study, that's going to cause those CPIs to go up, correct? Yep, absolutely. But also, won't this cause some angst within your panel members as well said, Oh, th- how come if you have someone in say Louisiana is making 25 cents for a study that someone in California is getting paid four bucks for, uh, if I'm the person in Louisiana, I'm like, nah, I want four bucks too. I can see there's this going to cause problems within a panel company. Maybe I'm not sure how much insight they'll have into that, but maybe, yeah. Um, I'm hoping that in my opinion, in return for this, there should be an extra level of validation and verification among respondents. And I've been kind of advocating for the minimum wage as well as the respondents' bill of rights for quite a while. Um, You know, us as a research company should agree to incentivize you fairly for your time, and we should make surveys um, device agnostic and, you know, all of these things. But in return, respondent, you have to prove it's you. And I'm not sure how, what that looks like. Maybe it's a picture of their ID or an extra level of verification, but we clearly have an issue with that in the industry. And so maybe this will help drive some, kind of a quid pro quo, maybe. I don't know, but... Yeah. I was just thinking of one other piece. If you have this, won't this cause an increase in professional survey takers? Because now your minimum wage, oh, I can go make 15 bucks at the Amazon warehouse at McDonald's, Or I could stay at home and just take surveys for hours upon hours and make the same amount of money. Won't that kind of degrade what we're trying to look for within a sample? That's a good question, Brian. And here's my thoughts on that. It really goes back into the history of marketing research. And originally, I think that the the incentive for a respondent 
was really kind of giving back. It was, I will give you feedback. I'll give you my opinions, knowing that it'll help shape products and services and other things in the world. And a lot of times we never incentivize people or it's very small incentive. Um, I was a telephone interviewer for years and we never incentivized anyone. Um, a lot of mall research, you'll do a survey and maybe you get a dollar. Um, there is, however, this growing trend of fair pay for their time. And I, I kind of agree with that. I also agree with your point that this may encourage more professional respondents. Um, that's why I think panel companies in the industry really need to kind of align on this validation part. And companies like Sample Chain, you know, they're going to be able to see these survey takers that are professional respondents. They know how many surveys people take. And um, I think that there's a lot of initiatives going on to try to stop that and to help verify people. And I think we're making progress on that. But so maybe this this law will kind of help um, expedite that process. That's what I'm hoping at least. Okay. And I had, sorry, I'm going to, I have one more route I'm going to take you down that I, again, just popped into my head. We've talked about in the past about the people who spend, I've taken a survey, it's 40 minutes long or 45 minutes long. I get, I do all the screeners, I get down to a point and then I'm, I get, I get kicked out of it essentially. Um, I'm not the target they're searching for. So I get counted as an incomplete or a yes. screen out. So I don't yes. get anything. Yep. We've talked about in the past of, hey, these people should be compensated for their time. They're still giving it. It's not their fault that they didn't, that wasn't that piece that, that they didn't fit the criteria until the very end. Yep. How is this law going to impact that? Are we saying that, yes, it's $4. If we're saying it's a 15 minute study and you're getting paid that $4 of the 15, of the $15 an hour. Okay. Boom. You have, that is it only for completes, or is it saying anybody who takes it? So yeah, that's that's one of the questions that Howard Feinberg raises. It's a great question. Some companies have started to um, pay people for their time, um, usually pretty minimal. Like I know M4 pays, I think it's ten cents or twenty five cents if you try to take a survey and you don't qualify. There are some other more traditional panel companies that do the same. Um, can you prorate it if? I think if it's more than about a two-minute screener, in my opinion, you should get paid for, for that. Um, especially, I mean, I test a lot of surveys and I take a lot of surveys. And many times the screening process can be very lengthy as you're routed around and, you know, answering the same questions multiple times and going through all of the qualification criteria can take quite a bit of time. I think you should be paid for that. Maybe it's not you know, the minimum wage, but something, I think. That's just my point of view. A lot of people probably disagree with that, though. Yeah, I, I could just see that this opening a variety of cans of worms or problems, or maybe this is just the driver the industry needs to move more to blockchain. Hey, I've used the B word. We didn't use it for months. Yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> we, you just mentioned validation. Blockchain would be that ultimate type of validation, that would eliminate those professional survey takers and guarantee you were that. But then it goes back into you should be paid more for your data, which was the whole selling point of blockchain. Yep. So, and I, I agree with you. And I think that this would open up potential for a, a respondent scoring system 
where you know you get paid more for if you're a better respondent or potentially a client scoring system where if your survey if you told me it was going to be 5 minutes and it's really 15 minutes I'm going to rate you low and that is ultimately where I hope we get to is where we start um rating survey takers and survey designers I agree I think that can get to that point cuz then you can screen out the either the people creating the bad surveys or the bad survey takers there's also that component you just have to make sure that people you're still, still going to have some of that fraud. I would. There's going to be some that I can say, oh, you mentioned, oh, it's a five-minute survey. Well, I'm just going to sit with this window open and slow walk it till it takes 40 minutes or a half hour so I get paid more. I think there needs yeah. to be that piece. Like this will, This should take you five minutes. If it's taking you longer, you're only going to get paid for five minutes. Yes, so absolutely. That's where, I'm not sure how that will work. People smarter than us will make those decisions. Yes, absolutely. Man, good topic. Yeah. Next one. And it kind of goes into this. A strong data privacy law could come under the new Biden administration, said senior executives of three big tech firms at the recent CES 2021. So the Consumer Electronics Show that just took place virtually. Yeah, so... I'm expecting and hoping that this will happen this year. And um, you would think that this will happen given the, you know, the three, was it three large um, firms kind of driving this as they want similar, similar laws across the country, just as everyone, everyone's federal legislation. Maybe now's an opportunity to do that. Now that at least for the time being, I think that we'll have a um, less divisive government, and so they can hopefully focus on things like this, which are super important. And, you know, I feel like the past four years, well, the past year, especially all we've done is fight and talk about COVID. And, you know, maybe now we can kind of move on to stuff that affects, you know, normal issues like this. So I'm hoping this happens. I expect it will this year. I do too. I think this will happen. Uh, it's needed. It's causing way too much confusion, not just in our industry, but across the board in any sort of technology where one state operates by a different state set of rules than another state and so on and so forth. It's hard to keep track of, and it's not good for business. If you're having to meet 40 different rules, just have a set of standard rules and let's go. Yeah, it's horrible. Yes. Agreed. All right. That was probably longer than you thought we would go on this privacy and legislation stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see you asking a lot of follow-up questions. This was fun. I like talking about it. It's and it's so relevant. Yeah. Uh, next one. Discuss.io has launched a new DIY respondent management hub, allowing users to track respondents through the process of recruiting, screening, scheduling, incentivizing, and interviewing. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts. Basically, what you just said. I think it's pretty cool. It sounds fascinating to me that. Um, users can kind of track people throughout the entire process. I think a lot of researchers will really like that. Um, should streamline things. Um, pretty cool. That's all I really have to say, but um, sounds really interesting. And maybe this will lend itself to more quantitative in the future. Yeah. Next one. Sample Ninja has launched their panel management platform. We've heard Sample Ninja's name around for a couple years 
and it looks like they are finally on a go-to-market now. Yeah, like I'm a big fan of Tariq. Um, he's been super present um, during COVID. Uh, he was on about every networking um, happy hour um, Zoom call that I've had, regardless of time zone. And I know he's he's certainly, um, I think he's in Europe. And so I'm happy to see Sample Ninja in the news. And, you know, this has been a long time. It talked about they were going to launch it Q1 last year. And they delayed it, you know, nearly a year. So I'm hope I'm rooting for them and hope this is successful. And so I think it will be. Yeah, I mean, it sounded like they were ready to go, and then I don't know what happened, but that caused them to delay till now. Yeah. So um, hopefully, hear more about it from Tariq and Simple Ninja soon. Yeah. Our next story is it isn't really a news story, but more of a conversation that has taken place over LinkedIn. Um, a post from Patrick Comer about him putting together a research technology industry landscape. I want you, I taken a look at this. He's got it pretty good. I know he doesn't have everybody on there. I saw that we made the, we made it on the first draft, which was pretty cool. Yes. We, maybe we should add like a social media discussion component to the podcast. I was fascinated by this. Um, so Patrick Comer, he's the founder and CEO of Lucid, and he's been talking about research tech and redefining us as um, res tech as an industry for quite a while. I'm pretty sure he coined the term, but he's been talking about it a lot a while. And he puts a post up saying, "Hey, I've done you know put together a landscape of our ecosystem, and he's got a lot of different categories. I mean, it's pretty cool. He's got market research agencies and consultancies, and he separates that into." research and consulting firms and he's got platforms and he's got marketplaces and ethnographies. He's got analytics and visualization and sample and field work. I mean, he's got a lot of categories, a lot of companies. And the first thing I noticed is yeah. that um, a million people, he should have blocked all the salespeople, first of all, because anybody that was left out was like, Hey, what about us? Secondly, people want to be in multiple categories, which I guess makes sense if you're, doing more than one thing. You don't want to be pigeonholed into one thing. Um, but I just thought it was interesting that, I mean, as I'm looking at it, 294 likes and 125 comments on this post on LinkedIn. Um, other people contributed. So some other thought leaders, Seema Vasa, Jamin Brazil, Lenny Murphy, Mike Stevens. I mean, those are pretty big names and they know this ecosystem pretty well. But I mean, this is one of those things that I kind of feel bad for Patrick, but he probably knew that he was getting himself into his, you know, everybody's, somebody's going to complain about it. And, you know, he put, obviously he put a lot of work into this and it's not going to yeah. be perfect. It's, you know, it's, you know, their version of it, which makes sense to me, but it's kind of a complex universe, especially when so many brands do so many different things. I just thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah. And, and he's even said, Hey, this is the first round. Cause I think there were some jokes in there about separating it by country and offering and this and that. And yeah. you're talking, it could go a multitude of different ways. It did, It was a great conversation starter. Um, yeah. It was also interesting to find where some of the, some of what we consider competitors are kind of put in there. I found that interesting. Yeah. I, I found it interesting where he put us, which we were, I mean, I wouldn't have complained if we weren't in it, but we were in a category called market makers which is typically data collection and simple fielding specialists that provide buyers with the tools and services needed to succeed and their research objectives. He goes on and on, but we're in the same kind of category with 
um, Quest Mindshare, WiseWorks, RepData, Paradigm, ISA, Ugum, and MarketCube. And, you know, I, I'm not going to argue with that. Um, it's just kind of interesting yeah. to see where people place us, their perception of us or other companies. And you saw people from certain companies say, my perception of it is this. And, you know, very different um, depending on the kind of the lens you look through. But I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, I agree. I'm glad you shared that with me. And we'll put a link to it in the show notes. So, Yeah. <laughs> Poor Patrick's going to get more feedback. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think he knew that as soon as he posted it. He goes, well, I'm probably going to regret this. <laughs> yes, probably. Yeah. yeah. It's not his first time doing something like that. So I'm sure he knew what he was getting himself into. And on our final story today, a new Luth panel is swapping company shares for data. Yeah, I just found this. What I did here's what I did, Brian. We get so many times we do a podcast, and as soon as we're done recording, boom, a news story breaks, and you know we have to wait three to twelve days to talk about it. So I researched, I looked this up, but, but I hadn't even seen this story, even though it's a week old. But it's pretty interesting that they're building a new panel and they're going to swap company shares. I think that's fascinating. It kind of lends itself to the discussion earlier. It's kind of a unique incentive for respondents, um, you know. But they're going to be receiving shares of the company based on the length and the complexity of surveys, and additional shares for allowing digital data tracking. Um, and they'll pay dividends. I mean, that's pretty. I mean, that's crazy. But it's awesome. It's so unique. Um, and so Roseanne Luth said it's, she had to register the structure with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Um, so she has SEC approval. And I don't know, I just think that's kind of fascinating. What, what do you think? That is fascinating. Um, I know you put this story on like 10 minutes before we decided to record. But I can see this would make it very interesting in terms of panel members, like, oh, I'm getting shares in the company. I want this company to do well, which means I'm not going to give crappy data. I'm right. going to try to give it to the best of my ability because the better data I give, the more likely they're going to be able to get more surveys to me. Right. And their revenue is going to go up, which means my dividend is going to be higher. Yes. And very interesting, right? <laughs> It gives them a little skin in the game. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Um, maybe we, you know what we should do, Brian? <laughs> we should have Roseanne Luth on the podcast to talk about this. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Let's get Roseanne on. They're, they're one of those panel companies that's been around for a while. You don't hear much about but They're really good. And, you know, we've worked with them for a long time. But maybe, maybe she, you know, we should have her come on. Yeah. I, I think that's a good idea. And we don't, I don't say that mockingly either. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm not either. Um, so hopefully she'll come in and talk more about it and see. I, I don't know if they just launched this or it's getting ready to, or if they've already launched it. Um, I'd like to hear more. Yeah. We have just a few announcements now, but before you get to yours, I have one, because I don't think I even told you this, but Intellicast has a new LinkedIn page. It is up and running now. You didn't tell me this, but I saw it, and I think I'm following it. Yeah, man, we're growing rapidly. I mean, every year we just get more innovative, our own LinkedIn page. So, yeah, come like it and I know. follow it. Thank you to intern Emma for getting that set up for us. Yeah, intern Emma. We haven't heard from her recently. I know. We'll have to have her on. Yeah. And then I wanted to mention just a couple other things. 
we had a couple blogs come out. We summarized 2020. We have a new, it's kind of a predictions blog for 2021 and a trends or, you know, kind of what we hope or expect to happen this year. And you and I kind of co-wrote that one, although you're, you gave me credit on LinkedIn, but you really wrote most of it. Um, and then one other thing, and we can talk about all these if you want, is I wanted to mention SampleCon announced in person on July 12th through 15th in Pasadena. Our friends over at SampleCon are really, I think, going to be the first attempt at an in-person conference. We'll talk more about that at an upcoming podcast. But we'll, they mentioned also it will include smaller local market gatherings. So they'll do kind of a hybrid. But um, good for them to kind of be the first uh, that I'm aware of, the first true in-person conference in July. Yeah, I'm just concerned with the place they picked. Since California has yeah. been in and out of lockdown since March. I mean, yes. they're going on a year of being in and out of lockdowns. That maybe that's maybe not the best place to do it. Maybe <laughs> Florida, just where it's kind of a free for all. Someplace <laughs> that's not going into lockdown, but that, yeah, maybe that's just me. The state regulations are the are going to be the challenge. I think from what I read, the hotel and the conference facility where it's going to be at is going to do all kinds of things to make people feel safe and social distancing, I'm sure they will. So I would feel safe in the hotel. It's just kind of far away, both literally and figuratively, from from now to kind of determine if people feel safe about it. But, you know, if, if this vaccine gets distributed like we think it will by, you know, April, May, and if, you know, like last year we saw it kind of dip down when it got warmer, I think by May, June, people will be ready. I mean, people will be itching to get out of, the, out of the town. So maybe they're they'll have a huge impact. But they also, I bet they have limited registrations, you know? Yeah, I think it's going to be, it's going to be like going to any sort of sporting event right now where you're only getting a few thousand tickets for a stadium that might hold 20,000 people. I think you're going to, they're not going to try to shoot for attendance records this year. I think it's going to be a more intimate gathering than anything else. And also, I've seen this trend of, online conferences, virtual conferences that aren't charging or they're charging very minimally. And I don't know if that's become the new norm that you just get to go for free. And I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen because some of these conferences are rather expensive, you know, like SMR Congress and IIEX and TMRE. Those are some of the more expensive ones. What's going to happen to them? I think SampleCon was never too expensive. They'll probably charge something for the virtual but it'll be interesting to see what the pricing are. Yeah. The other one you didn't mention was Quirks. They're having their in-person ones, but they've also announced two virtual ones too that kind of go along with the other ones. So Yeah, yeah. So they must be planning already for that limited audience, but hey, we know there's going to be a co- group of people that are going to want the content but aren't going to be able to tra- aren't going to either want to or be able to travel. Yep. Let's do a virtual one too. I'd like that mix. That's just me personally. Yeah. I know I mentioned to get out of town, so I can't wait to get approval to go somewhere. Um, but we'll talk more about conferences soon. I'm um, at length, hopefully soon. Anything else, Brian? I think that covers it. Well, hey, under 30 minutes. That's at least two, three podcasts in a row, I think, that are under 30 minutes. Hope you're enjoying them. We'll love any feedback you have. And as always, thanks for listening.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.